Welcome to Science or Fiction, a podcast by sci-fi author Michael James Sharon. In this program, we'll be discussing science, fiction, and the often blurred spaces between the two. Here we try to dispel common scientific misconceptions by both Hollywood and the media, even that which is meant to be educational. My background includes a Bachelor of Science and Master of Arts in Physics with experience in both R&D and production. I hope you enjoy these podcasts, and if there are comments or input, please direct them via contact page for my website, michaelsbookcorner.com. The first test flight of the SpaceX Starship and Booster occurred at Boca Chica, Texas, 20 April 2023. Opinions regarding success or failures seem to be as varied as the number of people and media outlets covering it, so why not add my two cents worth? I've spent an inordinate number of hours following the doings of SpaceX and Starbase. To me, it's tremendously exciting and as historic as the Apollo program, more so, in fact. Yet, there are those who know next to nothing about it and couldn't care less. At the same time this essay is being composed, there is little or nothing to go on regarding what was successful and what failed. We'll see if my analysis stands the test of time. Not having seen Starship and Booster firsthand, it is difficult for me to grasp the scale of this machine. The booster is set to provide twice the thrust of the Saturn V, and that's believable. There was a definite period of a few seconds before we could sense the vehicle lifting off the pad at all. From the SpaceX feed, however, it was apparent that at least two Raptor engines were out by the time she cleared the tower. Another two, then another single Raptor went out shortly into the flight. In a static fire test for all 33 booster engines, two engines went out. According to Elon Musk, there was enough room in the design for Starship to reach orbit without two engines. With five and briefly six engines out, is that still possible? Only SpaceX engineers know that at present. The answer also depends on the mass of the payload. Despite flying on only 28 out of 33 engines, Booster 7 and Ship 24 reached supersonic velocity and maximum dynamic pressure, or Max-Q. At this point, the forces on the rocket are at their greatest. The rocket accelerating through the atmosphere encounters the reverse force of the gas it is traveling through. At the same time, when moving higher in the atmosphere, the air density and pressure are decreasing. So there is a peak pressure. By surviving to this point, it is safe to say that the two vehicles in tandem are structurally sound. Max-Q, Miko, or main engine cutoff, appears to have happened as scheduled. If there are any other space geeks out there, you've probably seen several Falcon 9 launches as I have, and know that stage separation, i.e. disconnection of the stage 2 orbital craft, from the booster or stage one occurs not long after max q after expending its propellant the booster stage not only blocks the firing of the stage two engines but is little more than dead weight 
with respect to the payload. SpaceX boosters retain enough fuel to relight the engines in a boost back burn to get it closer to where it launched, plus another brief burn to slow it on re-entry into the atmosphere, and finally a short burn to decelerate it for landing. After the booster engines are shut down in MECO, stage separation is supposed to occur. Shortly after that, the Stage 2, or Starship engines in this case, are fired to bring the craft to orbital velocity and inclination. This is where the next obvious anomaly appeared, for the inaugural Starship test. Sometime last year, in an interview with the everyday astronaut, Tim Dodd, Musk appeared to have an epiphany regarding separation. This is when I knew that Musk really gets it. His design credo, and it is a good one, is the best part is no part. What he came up with out loud during the interview was a simpler way to separate the stages by a simple centrifugal force. If the booster does a quick tip to one side after engine cutoff, stage two or the starship would gently flip out and away from the booster. The idea was to eliminate any complex mechanisms used to push the vehicles apart. At the time separation was expected, it appears that the booster was wagging back and forth, or perhaps processing in an attempt to fling the starship away. Here I'm speculating that whatever mechanism held the craft together was not disengaging or never got the signal to do so. Stage 2 never separated, so Starship 24 never had the opportunity to light her engines. Only after the two vehicles reached Apogee and began descending did SpaceX pull a plug on both. Self-destruct appeared to have occurred on the booster and then Starship a few seconds later. If separation had occurred promptly, was Starship in a position to reach orbital velocity? We'll have to wait for SpaceX or other knowledgeable people to say. For a maximum payload of 150 tons, I'm guessing five engines out for most of the flight severely degrades that possibility. Nonetheless, I'm betting SpaceX wants all of those engines working, even if they're not at full throttle. Let's hope there's a wealth of telemetry for this flight to work through the biggest issues. We shouldn't expect the next test flight, nor the one after that, to be perfect. The team at SpaceX should be extremely happy with results from the first attempt. Regarding the unexpected number of Raptor engines going out, we have to wonder if some debris, concrete, or other material could have been kicked up by the blast. Watching the end of Tim Dodd's coverage, they showed the rear window of a vehicle blown out by flying debris. Much of the camera equipment by the various podcasts was knocked over or damaged in an area that must have been deemed safe. The cameras were unmanned, so that precaution was wise. The unmanned press area was some distance from the launch pad, so it is not hard to imagine projectiles being bounced up into the booster's bank of 33 engines. Similar debris was seen during an explosion in an early test and with the 33-engine static fire test. SpaceX is working on their water deluge system, so let's hope it is in place before the next launch. The spraying water is largely for sound suppression. One estimate for the intensity of the engines 
near the launch pad is 160 decibels. 120 dB is enough to damage human hearing, and the decibel scale is logarithmic. The energy is doubled with every 10 dB. I'm looking forward to the next flight for a starship. Likely this will be Booster 9 and one of the starships without tiles or flaps. Those ships can still get near or to orbital velocity, which would be a major advance in development. A major change we know of is the transition from hydraulic to motor-controlled gimbling of the Raptor engines. This is a huge decrease in complexity in keeping with the best part is no part concept. I'm not sure, but Booster 9 may also have gotten rid of a degree of freedom for the grid fins. Instead of folding against the body of the booster, SpaceX has determined that they can remain deployed out and only need to rotate. This reduces weight by dropping the motors used for folding them. There may be modifications to the ship separation mechanism to make it more reliable, if indeed that was the problem. From my 10,000 foot view, I'm satisfied that SpaceX engineers are following the KISS rule, i.e. keep it simple, stupid. They've completely changed the paradigm of aerospace design. Lockheed Skunk Works may be the nearest with their mindset. NASA's vision for the development of manned spaceflight is slow, cumbersome, and political, but even they can hear the music these days. I've worked with some very conservative engineers who perhaps out of superstition refused to streamline their designs. They would leave many components in place that were only there for proving an earlier version of the design. In one case, the resistor or resistors are blocking the closing of the plastic case we were using. This and other issues caused by other engineers who designed the case cost us tens of thousands of dollars and months to alter the injection molds. It is notable that SpaceX, by philosophy or design, scheduled their first test launch so quickly after FAA approval. A major triumph for them is not having Starship and Booster explode on the pad. Many over the last months have compared the 33-engine booster with the colossal 30-engine Soviet in one rocket, which exploded on the pad in the second attempt. Anything is possible, but I don't believe SpaceX will experience such a catastrophe after today. Booster 7 and Ship 24 have been through a lot of testing, so with any degree of confidence, it was time to let those go. Let's hope further simplicity in design will make subsequent vehicles even more reliable and one day have as good or better record than Falcon 9. With their ability to design, build, and launch quickly, this is very much in the cards. I hope you've enjoyed this program, written and presented by author Michael James Sharon in conjunction with my many science fiction novels. Please visit the website michaelsbookcorner.com to see what is on offer. A complimentary ebook is available for joining the mailing list. This podcast is available on most outlets such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Anchor FM, Amazon, and also on YouTube under the playlist Science or Fiction. Look for the host on Instagram, medium.com, 
or Twitter under at classic underscore sci underscore phi. Thank you.